Section 11 of Lives of Girls Who Became Famous. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lives of Girls Who Became Famous by Sarah K. Bolton. Rosa Bonner, in a simple home in Paris, could have been seen in 1829 Raymond Bonner and his little family. Rosa, seven years old, August, Isadore, and Juliette. He was a man of fine talent in painting, but obliged to spend his time in giving drawing lessons to support his children. His wife, Sophie, gave lessons on the piano, going from house to house all day long, and sometimes sewing half the night, to earn a little more for the necessities of life. Hard work and poverty soon bore its usual fruit, and the tired young mother died in 1833. The three oldest children were sent to board with a plain woman, La Mère Catherine, in the Champs-Élysées, and the youngest was placed with relatives. For two years, this good woman cared for the children, sending them to school, though she was greatly troubled because Rosa persisted in playing in the woods of the Bois de Boulogne, gathering her arms full of daisies and marigolds, rather than to be shut up in a schoolroom. I never spent an hour of fine weather indoors during the whole of the two years, she has often said since those days. Finally, the father married again and brought the children home. The two boys were placed in school, and Monsieur Bonheur paid their way by giving drawing lessons three times a week in the institution. If Rosa did not love school, she must be taught something useful, and she was accordingly placed in a sewing establishment to become a seamstress. The child hated sewing, ran the needle into her fingers at every stitch, cried for the fresh air and sunshine, and finally, becoming pale and sickly, was taken back to the Bonheur home. The anxious painter would try his child once more in school, so he arranged that she should attend, with compensation met in the same way as for his boys. Rosa soon became a favorite with the girls at the Fabot Saint Antoine school, especially because she could draw such witty caricatures of the teachers, which she pasted against the wall, with bread chewed into the consistency of putty. The teachers were not pleased, but so struck were they with the vigor and originality of the drawings that they carefully preserved the sketches in an album. The girl was far from happy. Naturally sensitive, as what poet or painter was ever born otherwise, she could not bear to wear a calico dress and coarse shoes and eat with an iron spoon from a tin cup when the other girls wore handsome dresses and had silver mugs and spoons. She grew melancholy, neglected her books, and finally became so ill that she was obliged to be taken home. And now Raymond Bonner very wisely decided not to make plans for his child for a time, but see what was her natural tendency. It was well that he made this decision in time, before she had been spoiled by his well-meant but poor intentions. Left to herself, she constantly hung about her father's studio, now drawing, now modeling, copying whatever she saw him do. She seemed never to be tired, but sang at her work all the day long. Monsieur Bonheur suddenly awoke to the fact that his daughter had great talent. He began to teach her carefully, to make her accurate in drawing, and correct in perspective. Then he sent her to the Louvre to copy the works of the old masters. Here she worked with the greatest industry and enthusiasm, not observing anything that was going on around her. Said the director of the Louvre, I have never seen an example of such application and such ardor for work. One day, an elderly English gentleman stopped beside her easel and said, your copy, my child, is superb, faultless. Persevere as you have begun, 
and I prophesy that you will be a great artist. How glad those few words made her! She went home thinking over to herself the determination she had made in the school when she ate with her iron spoon, that sometimes she would be as famous as her schoolmates and have some of the comforts of life. Her copies of the old masters were soon sold, and though they brought small prices, she gladly gave the money to her father, who needed it now more than ever. His second wife had two sons when he married her, and now they had a third, Jaman, and every cent that Rosa could earn was needed to help support seven children. La Mamiche, as they called the new mother, was an excellent manager of the meager finances and filled her place well. Rosa was now seventeen, loving landscape, historical, and genre painting, perhaps equally, but happening to paint a goat, she was so pleased in the work that she determined to make animal painting a specialty. Having no money to procure models, she must needs make long walks into the country on foot to the farms. She would take a piece of bread in her pocket and generally forget to eat it. After working all day, she would come home tired, often drenched with rain, and her shoes covered with mud. She took other means to study animals. In the outskirts of Paris were great abattoirs, or slaughter pens. Though the girl tenderly loved animals and shrank from the sight of suffering, she forced herself to see the killing, that she might know how to depict the death agony on canvas. Though obliged to mingle more or less with drovers and butchers, no indignity was ever offered her. As she sat on a bundle of hay, with her colors about her, they would crowd around to look at the pictures and regard her with honest pride. The world soon learns whether a girl is in earnest about her work and treats her accordingly. The Bonheur family had moved to the sixth story of a tenement house in the Rue Rumfort, now the Rue Malzebe. The sons, Auguste and Isidore, had both become artists, the former a painter, the latter a sculptor. Even little Juliette was learning to paint. Rosa was working hard all day at her easel, and at night was illustrating books, or molding little groups of animals for the figure dealers. All the family were happy despite their poverty, because they had congenial work. On the roof, Rosa improvised a sort of garden, with honeysuckles, sweet peas, and nasturtiums, and here they kept a sheep, with long silky wool, for a model. Very often, Isidore would take him on his back and carry him down the six flights of stairs. The day of elevators had not dawned, and after he had enjoyed grazing, would bring him back to his garden home. It was a docile creature, and much loved by the whole family. For Rosa's birds, the brothers constructed a net, which they hung outside the window and then opened the cage into it. At nineteen, Rosa was to test the world and see what the critics would say. She sent to the fine arts exhibition two pictures, goats and sheep, and two rabbits. The public was pleased, and the press gave kind notices. The next year, animals in a pasture, a cow lying in a meadow, and a horse for sale attracted still more attention. Two years later, she exhibited twelve pictures, some from her father and brother being hung on either side of hers the first time they had been admitted. More and more, the critics praised and the pathway of the Bonheur family grew less thorny. Then, in 1849, when she was 27, came the triumph. Her magnificent picture, Cantal Oxen, took the gold medal and was purchased by England. Horace Fernet, the president of the Commission of Awards, in the midst of a brilliant assembly, 
proclaimed the new laureate and gave her, in behalf of the government, a superb Sèvres vase. Raymond Bonner seemed to become young again at this fame of his child. It brought honors to him also, for he was at once made director of the government school of design for girls. But the release from poverty and anxiety came too late, and he died the same year, greatly lamented by his family. He had grand ideas, said his daughter, and had he not been obliged to give lessons for our support, he would have been more known and today acknowledged with other masters. Rosa was made director in his place, and Juliette became a professor in the school. This same year appeared her plowing scene in the Nivene, now in the Luxembourg Gallery, thought to be her most important work after her horse fair. Orders now poured in upon her, so that she could not accede to have the requests for work. A rich Hollander offered her 1,000 crowns for a painting which she could have wrought in two hours, but she refused. Four years later, after 18 long months of preparatory studies, her horse fair was painted. This created the greatest enthusiasm both in England and America. It was sold to a gentleman in England for $8,000 and was finally purchased by A.T. Stewart of New York for his famous collection. No one who has seen this picture will ever forget the action and vigor of these Normandy horses. In painting it, a petted horse, it is said, stepped back upon the canvas, putting his hoof through it, thus spoiling the work of months. So greatly was this picture admired that Napoleon III was urged to bestow upon her the cross of the Legion of Honor entitled her from French usage. Though she was invited to the state dinner at the Tuileries, always given to artists to whom the Academy of Fine Arts has awarded its highest honors, Napoleon had not the courage to give it to her, lest public opinion might not agree with him in conferring it upon a woman. Possibly he felt, more than the world knew, the insecurity of his throne. Henry Bacon, in the century, thus describes the way in which Rosa Bonner finally received the badge of distinction. The emperor, leaving Paris for a short summer excursion in 1865, left the empress as regent. From the imperial residence at Fontainebleau, it was only a short drive to buy, the home of Mademoiselle Bonheur. The countersign at the gate was forced and unannounced. The empress entered the studio where Mademoiselle Rosa was at work. She rose to receive the visitor, who threw her arms about her neck and kissed her. It was only a short interview. The imperial vision had departed. The rumble of the carriage and the crack of the outriders' whips were lost in the distance. Then, and not till then, did the artist discover that as the empress had given the kiss, she had pinned upon her blouse the cross of the Legion of Honor. Since then she has received the Leopold Cross of Honor from the King of Belgium, said to be the first ever conferred upon a woman also a decoration from the king of Spain. Her brother Augusta, now dead, received the cross of the Legion of Honor in 1867, two years after Rosa. In preparing to paint the horse fair and other similar pictures, which have brought her much into the company of men, she has found it wise to dress in male costume. A laughable incident is related to this mode of dress. One day when she returned from the country, she found a messenger awaiting to announce to her the sudden illness of one of her young friends. Rosa did not wait to change her male attire, but hastened to the bedside of the young lady. In a few minutes after her arrival, the doctor, who had been sent for, entered, and seeing a young man, as he supposed, 
seated on the side of the bed, with his arm round the neck of the sick girl, thought he was an intruder, and retreated with all possible speed. Oh! Run after him! He thinks you are my lover, and has gone and left me to die! cried the sick girl. Rosa flew downstairs and soon returned with the modest doctor. She also needs his Spanish costume, for her long journeys over the Pyrenees into Spain are in the Scottish Highlands. She is always accompanied by her most intimate friend, Mademoiselle Mikas, herself an artist of repute, whose mother, a widow, superintends the home for the two devoted friends. Sometimes in the Pyrenees, these two ladies see no one for six weeks but muleteers with their mules. The people in these lonely mountain passes live entirely upon the curdled milk of sheep. Once, Rosa Bonner and her friend were nearly starving when Mademoiselle Mikas obtained a quantity of frogs and covering the hind legs with leaves, roasted them over a fire. On these they lived for two days. In Scotland, she painted her exquisite denizens of the mountains, mourning in the highlands and crossing a loch in the highlands. In England, she was treated like a princess. Sir Edwin Landseer, whom some persons thought she would marry, is reported to have said when he first looked upon her horse fair, It surpasses me, though it's a little hard to be beaten by a woman. On her return to France, she brought a sky terrier named Wasp, of which she is very fond, and for which she has learned several English phrases. When she speaks to him in English, he wags his tail most appreciatively. Rosa Bonner stands at the head of her profession, an acknowledged master. Her pictures bring enormous sums and have brought her wealth. A view in the Pyrenees has been sold for $10,000 and some others for twice that sum. She gives away much of her income. She has been known to send to the Mont de Pieté her gold medals to raise funds to assist poor artists. A woman artist, who had been refused help by several wealthy painters, applied to Rosa Bonner, who at once took down from the wall a small but valuable painting, and gave it to her, from which she received a goodly sum. A young sculptor who greatly admired her work enclosed twenty dollars, asking her for a small drawing and saying that this was all the money he possessed. She immediately sent him a sketch worth at least two hundred dollars. She has always provided most generously for her family and for servants who have grown old in her employ. She dresses very simply, always wearing black, brown, or gray, with a close-fitting jacket over a plain skirt. When she accepts a social invitation, which is very rare, she adorns her dress with a lace collar, but without other ornament. Her working dress is usually a long gray linen or blue flannel blouse, reaching nearly from head to foot. She has learned that the conventional tight dress of women is not conducive to great mental or physical power. She is small in stature, with dainty hands and feet, blue eyes, and a noble and intelligent face. She is an indefatigable worker, rising usually at six in the morning and painting throughout the day. So busy is she that she seldom permits herself any amusements. On one occasion, she had tickets sent her for the theater. She worked till the carriage was announced. Je suis prête, said Rosa, and went to the play in her working dress. A daintily gloved man in the box next to hers looked over in disdain and finally went into the vestibule and found the manager. Who is this woman in the box next to mine? he said in a rage. She's in an old calico dress, covered with paint and oil. The odor is terrible. Turn her out. If you do not, I will never enter your theater again. The manager went to the box, and returning, informed him that it was a great painter. Rosa Bonner, he gasped. Who'd have thought it? 
Make my apology to her. I dare not enter her presence again. She usually walks in the twilight, often thinking out new subjects for her brush, at that quiet hour. She said to a friend, I have been a faithful student since I was ten years old. I have copied no master. I have studied nature and expressed to the best of my ability the ideas and feelings with which she has inspired me. Art is an absorbent, a tyrant. It demands heart, brain, soul, body, the entireness of the votary. Nothing less will win its highest favor. I wed art. It is my husband, my world, my life dream, the air I breathe. I know nothing else, feel nothing else, think nothing else. My soul finds in it the most complete satisfaction. I have no taste for general society, no interest in its frivolities. I only seek to be known through my works. If the world feel and understand them, I have succeeded. If I had got up a convention to debate the question of my ability to paint Marché aux Cheveux, the horse fair, for which England paid me 40,000 francs, the decision would have been against me. I felt the power within me to paint. I cultivated it and have produced works that have won the favorable verdicts of the great judges. I have no patience with women who ask permission to think. For years, she lived in Rue de Sauce, a retired street half made up of gardens. Here she had one of the most beautiful studios of Paris, the room lighted from the ceiling, the walls covered with paintings, with here and there old armor, tapestry, hats, cloaks, sandals, and skins of tigers, leopards, foxes, and oxen on the floor. One Friday, the day on which she received guests, one of her friends, coming earlier than usual, found her fast asleep on her favorite skin, that of a magnificent ox, with stuffed head and spreading horns. She had come in tired from the school of design and had thrown herself down to rest. Usually after greeting her friends, she would say, Allow me to resume my brush. We can talk just as well together. For those who have any great work to do in this world, there is little time for visiting. Interruptions cannot be permitted. No wonder Carlyle groaned when some person had taken two hours of his time. He could better have spared money to the visitor. For several years, Rosa Bonner has lived near Fontainebleau in the Chateau by. Henry Bacon says, The Chateau dates from the time of Louis XV, and the garden is still laid out in the style of Le Notre. Since it has been in the present proprietor's possession, a quaint, picturesque brick building, containing the carriage house and coachman's lodge on the first floor, and the studio on the second, has been added. The roof of the main building has been raised, and the chapel changed into an orange tree, Beside the main carriage entrance, which is closed by iron gates and wooden blinds, is a postern gate, with a small grated opening, like those found in convents. The blinds to the gate and the slide to the grating are generally closed, and the only communication with the outside world is by the bell wire, terminating in a ring beside the gate. Ring, and the jingle of the bell is at once echoed by the barking of numerous dogs, the hounds and bassets in chorus, the grand St. Bernard in slow measure, like the bass drum in an orchestra. After the first excitement among the dogs has begun to abate, a remarkably small house pet that has been somewhere in the interior arrives upon the scene, and with a sharp, shrill voice again starts and leads the canine chorus. By the time the eagle in his cage is awakened, and the parrot, whose cage is built into the corner of the studio looking upon the street, adds to the racket. Behind the house is a large park divided from the forest by a high wall. A lawn and flower beds are laid out near the buildings, and on the lawn, in pleasant weather, 
graze a magnificent bull and cow, which are kept as models. In a wire enclosure are two chamois from the Pyrenees, and further removed from the house, in the wooded part of the park, are enclosures for sheep and deer, each of which knows its mistress. Even the stag, bearing its six-branched antlers, receives her caresses like a pet dog. At the end of one of the linden avenues is a splendid bronze, but is a Bonner, of a gull attacking a lion. The studio is very large, with a huge chimney at one end, the supports of which are life-size dogs, modeled by Isidore Bonner. Portraits of the father and the mother in oval frames hang at each side, and a pair of gigantic horns ornaments the center. The room is decorated with stuffed heads of animals of various kinds, boars, bears, wolves, and oxen, and birds perch in every convenient place. When Prussia conquered France and swept through this town, Orders were given that Rosa Bonner's home and paintings be carefully preserved. Even her servants went unmolested. The peasants idolized the great woman who lived in the chateau and were eager to serve her. She always talked to them pleasantly. Rosa Bonner died at her home at 11 p.m. Thursday, May 25, 1899. End of section 11